celebrated just this week 24 years of marriage. Our wedding anniversary was this week. It was awesome. We did it up big. Did it up big. I took her to Dairy Queen this week. It was incredible. I even let her get a blizzard. I mean, we, we do it up big. All right, all right. It wasn't Dairy Queen. I wouldn't do that to her. It was Whataburger, okay? And um, some of you, I'm a hopeless romantic. Some of you are saying you are about to be hopeless, right? Okay, if that's the way you do. But seriously, nearly a quarter of a century we've been married. That's crazy to think about that. We got married when we were 21 years old. I knew what I wanted, okay, and uh, and so we got married young, and uh, you know, it's you think about that. We've been married longer in our in our lifetime, been married longer than unmarried, and so that's an incredible thing to think about. And I know 24 years seems like a long time to me. Some of the I know, like in our first service, we had uh, Liz and Jerry Maxwell. They've been married 59 years. 59 years. And my mom and dad are, are, are coming upon their 50-year wedding anniversary. They were in the last service. Do we have anybody in here 50 years plus? I'm just curious. Anybody? Okay. Uh, all right. 50 get coming upon that. That's incredible. Let's give them a round of applause. That's incredible. We have so many within our church. We do have a number within our church who have been married for, for, for that longevity that is there, and, and they probably should be teaching this series, not me, but, uh, but that's just an incredible time. Well, I, here's what I want, an incredible thing. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. Before we go any further, we're going to commit this series to God, okay? And so I want to just ask you to bow your heads with me, and let's go to God right now in prayer. Father, we pause at just the very beginning of our series just to declare, Lord, that you are the one that we love. You are the one that we need in our lives. Lord, it is no secret that the condition and view of marriage in our society and, Lord, in our culture today is very different from your view of it. Lord, marriage has been under attack. And so, Lord, where we differ from you, we differ from that, God. Would you bring us back in line with your word, back in line with your expectation of what marriage is to be about? Lord, it is about you. It is about reflecting your glory. May we catch today that it is not just about us or even our happiness. Father, today our world needs to see what holy marriages look like today more than ever. And that is my prayer for our church, is that we would be on display, not perfect marriages, but holy marriages. Lord, would would you do your work in us? May we reflect your glory to the world around us. May we reflect in the way we interact with each other in our relationships, your holiness. Lord, this marriage relationship is a great place to reflect your power at work in our life and to reflect your grace that is so evident and powerful for us individually. Would you teach us in this series, through your word, what it means to die to self daily? So, Father, we invite you and ask you to teach us what it means to love like you, what it means to be committed and stay committed like you. We ask this in Jesus' good and holy name and all God's people said, amen. All right, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking in God's word together. And let me, let me say today, and we'll be in a few other scriptures, but that'll be our main text. Let me say that if you are not a married person today, I want you to know how excited we are and glad that you are here. Uh, we, you hear us say this all the time. Another person does not complete you. Jesus Christ completes you, okay? And we affirm singleness because God's word affirms singleness. And so, but I also believe this. I don't want you to check out and say, well, this is a marriage series. Check out or whatever. Don't do that because here's what I know. And you'll find this to be true today in in, in God's word is that God's word as it goes out never returns void. You're going to get something out of this and God's going to work in your life through this. And you're going to hear things today that apply to you as a single adult, apply to you individually. So don't check out on me. Also, if you've had a failed marriage, I don't want you in any way to hear this series or think of this series. You know, we don't roll like this in that it's a series of condemnation for those that have had a failed marriage or whatever. We're, we're not like that. We're not going to get into the, the woulda, coulda, shoulda's of your past or anything like that. But here's what I know for you.
you. God wants to show you something too through, the, through what you've been through and what you've experienced. And God is a God of grace that wants to move you forward through things, okay? And so you're going to hear as well from God's word. And for those of you who are married, here's what I'm really praying and hoping for for you as well as for myself as I'm going through this with you is that the Lord would challenge all of us to rethink marriage, that he would challenge us to th- think about it the way that he uh, views it, to recommit. I'm challenging you, I've challenged myself to recommit in our marriages and that all of us, whether married or unmarried alike, that we would all seek to grow spiritually through this series, okay? We want to grow, to, this is a, spir- a series not so much even just about marriages, it's a series about spiritual development. It's about growing up in the Lord, It's about discipleship and following him, okay? So let me start off with you first, ladies. I want to ask you a question, okay? And let's just see how this goes. How many of you, when you were a little girl, you dreamed about growing up one day and kind of marrying your knight in shining armor, getting married one day, and having that perfect wedding? You know, you thought through what that wedding was going to be like. It was going to be a glorious wedding. You were going to have a perfect, beautiful white dress that you thought about, You are going to have your husband carry you across the perfect house. You're going to have the perfect family, perfect life. And uh, your husband, whose name, by the way, is Mr. McDreamy, um, he would always listen and he would cuddle with you. And when you're done listening and cuddling, he would listen more because that's how perfect he is. And maybe as a little girl, you were even starting to think about names for your kids, okay? You were already planning those things out. You had this dream and you had an expectation of what marriage was going to be like. Okay, everybody be honest, ladies. How many of you had dreams early on? Would you raise your hands? Okay, help me out. Come on, ladies. I know. All right, I know you, you had an expectation. You were coming into this. Now, uh, and you were just ready to live the life, live the live in the dream with Mr. McDreamy, right? Okay. Now, men, did any of you do that? I'm just curious, all right? Were you just like, I just can't wait for what my wedding is going to be like one day? And you were just pondering, what am I going to wear on my wedding day? What will I look like in that tuxedo? Men, did any of you do that? Raise your hands. If you did, you need extra bacon to raise your testosterone level because your man card is curious for me today, okay? It is in jeopardy, all right? No, men, how many of you, whenever you decided to get married, you're like, I'm going to get married. I think I love this girl. Whatever, you got married. How many of you, be honest, men, you were thinking more about the honeymoon than you were the wedding. And it wasn't the location, if you know what I mean. All right, you guys are a little, man, first, first service, hung me out to dry on this. And I was like, you bunch of chickens, all right? Because men, I know you because I'm one of you, all right? You're thinking about the honeymoon. You, have, you came in with this expectation that your wife was going to crave sex as much as you do, okay? That she was going to think about it as much as you do. In fact, you probably thought, men, you're saying, is he going there? Oh, I'm going there, okay? You probably thought, you know, men, that her main attire at home would consist of Victoria's Secrets all the time, right? You thought that's what it was going to be like, men, right? And, and, you know, be honest with me, and a lot of your hands are already up, men, be honest with me, you kind of thought differently about things, and things maybe aren't exactly like that. Some of you are like, I ain't raising my hand now. Chicken, chicken, all right? I know, all right? I know what you, I know how we think, all right? Now, We have these dreams. We have these expectations. Now, here's the next question for you. How'd all that work out for you? All right? (laughs) How'd that work out? Probably not exactly the way that you thought it would, right? We come into our marriage. Some of you are like, man, I was duped. You know, I thought it was going to be more like this. It's funny how differently we go into marriage and there are these expectations of what it's going to be like. And I mean, we're, and that it's going to always be happy and our feelings are always going to, we're going to feel in love, you know, and, and you know, all of the time. And, and it's going to fulfill us because you complete me, right? And uh, we know that's what Hollywood does. And, and, you know, you had me at that. And, and I, mean, I mean, we're indoctrinated with this. Early on, most of our stories growing up end with, and they lived how? Happily ever after, like there was never any problems. They didn't go through conflict or anything like this. 
So when you come in with certain expectations, men come in with this idea of it's going to be kind of more like this. Women are more like, no, it's going to be more like this. And we kind of grow up kind of being indoctrinated with that. Um, Hollywood indoctrinates us with that, that that's the way it is all the time. Well, then naturally here is what you're going to experience because we know that's not necessarily the way that things go because I saw the look in some of your eye as I said that. All right. You're going to have letdowns. You're going to have disappointments. You're going to be like, what, what is going on? Are we just off? Or, or does everyone else, are they like that and we're not? And, you know, are we, are we just different from everyone else? You're going to have misunderstandings because uh, a lot of us don't know how to communicate what we expect and or what the expectations are. And so then we get passive aggressive. And you're going to have disappointments, misunderstandings. You're going to have hurt. You're going to have anger. And oftentimes, here's what you're going to have. You're going to have divorce. And that, and that is something that we know is also very commonplace oftentimes because of unmet, and I want to even say this, unrealistic expectations. That, that we project those expectations because that's what we've been indoctrinated with by our culture so much. And now, I'm not anti-romance. I mean, I, I really didn't take hope to Dairy Queen, okay? But, but here is the thing that I want you to see. I know that a lot of you, I want you to know that you've been, I know you've been wounded in a marriage some of you are, are, are walking wounded right now in the midst of a relationship, and you're, in, you're maybe in such bad shape right now in your relationship. The question that you have is, and you're, you're struggling with, is a good marriage even possible? I mean, is that something that's possible? And some of you are like, I mean, really, is, is a great marriage, is that something that's even achievable in any way? And I do want to say this, that with 24 years of marriage experience, and I would suggest that those who have double the marriage experience that I have would say, yes, it is possible, but here is the deal. It does not happen by accident. It doesn't. It doesn't just naturally you fall into a perfect, good marriage, perfect life. It does not happen that way. It is possible, but it does not come easy. It is not something that's just going to happen for you just because you're two great people, and you probably are. But here's the reality. In fact, I'll tell you this. Hope came into my, my home office the other day. I was working on this series and kind of, I was just working on it. She was like, what are you working on? And I said, well, I'm working on this next series that we're going to be getting into. It's about, it's called Holy Matrimony. We're going to be talking about the, the struggles in marriage and how difficult it is and how God, you know, is the one that uses those difficulties in our marriage to make us more like Jesus. And I was just telling, trying to explain to her. And she said something to the effect of this. Yes, it definitely takes a lot of manure, she said, a lot of manure, and you know what that is, to make beautiful flowers, and, uh, and she said, and Lord knows we've had plenty of manure, and I was like, yeah, you're right about that, but I don't know that I like that you're saying that that emphatically, okay, but uh, Lord knows we've had plenty of it, and uh, have I ever told you this? My wife has a very dry sense of humor, right? She has a very dry sense of humor, and that is why I took her to Dairy Queen, okay? <laughs> Truly, though, marriage is, I'm telling you, it is one of the hardest things to do in life, all right? And I'm not joking about this. I want you to think about this because you're bringing two people with two backgrounds all their baggage from growing up and the stuff they're strugg they've struggled with, two sets of personalities with personality quirks. And by the way, both of you have them, right? Personality quirks, different sets of expectations. You both think differently and you both think you're right, right? Okay. I mean, and, and I'm talking about myself and my wife as well. And, and, and the reality, and this is the big key right here, too flawed, because we are all flawed, we are all broken, too broken, flawed, here's the truth, sinners coming together to form a union. And you're going to tell me that's going to be easy? No, it's not. And, and you're going to tell me that romance alone is going to to be able to salvage, you know, that, it's absolutely not. It's an incredible challenge. I would even say this, that it takes a miracle of God in our lives personally and a miracle of God in the relationship for couples to stay married 50 plus years, to learn what that means. And because you're bringing broken individuals together and forming, as the scripture says, one union. And, and the reality is that our marriages do not often play out the way that Hollywood, Hollywood's it up. That's what they're good at. 
They're good at Hollywood because, and it makes you want to escape into that, and it makes you think that that's how everybody is, and it revolves around all of the romance, not anti-romance. God's not anti-romance, but when your marriage alone revolves around that, you need to understand you're not always going to feel romantic. It's not always going to be about your feelings. How does Hollywood do it? It's all about your your feelings. It's all about unending romance. It's all about infinite, passionate feelings. I mean, even in commercials, sitting in separate bathtubs and fields, staring off into the sunset. I've never gotten that one, man. I've never understood that. But I just say, give me a break, right? Okay? And I realized how feelings in a relationship feelings for each other ebb and flow, Hope and I were playing a game of Monopoly with our, oh, you're already shaking your head. You know it's coming. We were playing, we were on vacation together playing a game of Monopoly with our small children. They're older now, but this was back when they were little, tiny guys, and uh, Luke was little, Trinity was little. We were playing Monopoly on vacation, and I, as I am so prone to do, was monopolizing and dominating my, my woman and, uh, and my small children. I'm really proud of myself, okay? I was taking it to them in Monopoly, all right? And we were getting into a bit of an argument because I was totally acting like a jerk. And uh, the next thing you know, she says this. She says, you know what? I don't even like you right now. I realized how feelings ebb and flow, right? I don't even like you. And the kids are going, what just happened, right? This is getting ugly. I'm being honest with you. I don't even like myself when I play Monopoly. I mean, I'm that competitive. I mean, I turn into a jerk. Do we have any other Monopoly jerks out there? Raise your hands, okay? Man, if we had a game, it would be ugly, wouldn't it? Okay? Blood and stuff, right? Are any of you married to a Monopoly jerk? Okay, yeah. I mean, I try to whip my kids in Candyland. I'm like, you know, you're going back to the Licorice Lagoon, ha-ha, <laughs> or whatever. I mean, that's just how it goes. And, uh, but, but, so it's, but here's the deal. There are times you won't feel in love. Times you will not feel that. In fact, love is not about our feelings. Here's something good to write down. Write this down. Biblical love is not about our feelings, but rather it is about a choice you make and it's a commitment you live by. Right? And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expound on this a little bit further. But our society and our culture portrays love as being so much about feelings. Love is so much about, about the way you feel all the time. I mean, they write great songs. You've lost that love and what? Feeling, right? You never close. Okay, all right. You get it. So, so here's the deal. Is it possible to have a great marriage, good marriage? Yes, it is possible. But here's what I want to tell you. It is not probable if you keep doing things the way that you're doing it if you are following the way of the world. It is not probable all right? The world's way in our culture is all about living by your feelings rather than our commitments. We do not, as a culture, want to commit to anything. True? We don't want to commit. We don't want to be tied down. We don't want to, you know, feel like I'm boxed in. So we just don't commit to anything. By the way, you're never going to live a successful life if you don't live by your commitments. Living, that's what it means to live and press through things and living by your commitments, not by the way you feel. You're never going to really probably, or in many cases, never feel like working out. You're never going to feel like, you know, getting up and going to work. But why do you do it? You know that the, that the greater good is by living by a commitment. It's living by a commitment. So it's possible, but it's not probable. We all know the, the terrible, uh, horrifying statistics of, of failures in marriages, so I won't belabor that. More than 50% won't make it. Heartbreaking reality, nothing new. More than 50%, yet for some reason, we think if we keep doing things the same way, maybe we'll be the exception. And that's just not true. I mean, I think, think about this. Think of this lesson. If I were to tell you that the cereal that you're eating, there's a 50% chance that you're going to get cancer as a result of that. Some of you are like, man, I'm changing cereals. We got to do things differently. 
Or if I told you, you know what, this week, by the way that, that you're doing things financially you're, and living by such a risk that you have a 50% chance that all of your investments, everything you've saved and worked for your entire life is going to be gone, I guarantee you'd be like, you know what, man, we need to look at this really closely. Are we going to keep doing things the same way? You'd be like, no way. We need to do something differently. Well, why would we think in marriage that we can just keep doing things the same way and everything is going to be okay? What Jesus is going to do is he's going to say, don't do things the world's way because that is shifting sand. It's ebbing and flowing with your feelings. I want you to do things my way as a believer. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and Jesus is going to give you a foundation to build your life upon and your house upon, okay? Your family, your marriage. If you're a single adult, you can read this for yourself. This, I mean, this isn't actually about marriages, but it applies to marriages. But it really it applies to the individual. In fact, every married couple, you are also an individual. You come together as one, but you're still an individual. Nobody else completes you. Only Jesus does, right? Okay, but here's what I want you also to catch here. I want you to catch this. You can't change your marriage partner. All you can do is go to work on you today. All you can do is make sure that you're going to work on you, living by your commitments, not your feelings. So Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's given all of these great teachings, and he says this in verse 24. Anyone, these are the words of Jesus, who listens to my teaching, now you've heard the teaching, but he doesn't stop there. Who listens to my teaching and does what? Say it with me, church. What does it say? And follows it. What he's talking about right here is discipleship. A disciple is a follower. It's a learner. You make a commitment. To Discipleship requires commitment. It requires that you're committed if you're going to grow in the Lord. It requires that you're going to live by your commitment, not your feeling. All right? He says, who, who listens to my teaching, follows it, is wise, he says. Like a person who builds a house on a, say it with me, church, what? A solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, what does it say next? Say it with me. It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone, and what is the bedrock? The teachings of Jesus that you choose to follow. You choose to follow, not just because you know it. You follow it. You do what he says because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching, that's a lot of people, and doesn't obey it, they are foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand when the rains, notice it doesn't say if the rains, when the rains, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse. And not only is it going to fall, it's going to collapse with a mighty crash. Boom. Destruction. Devastation. Failure. That's what he's saying right here. This is called the parable of the wise and foolish builders. All right? Notice one person is wise. You need to start asking, am I a wise person or am I a fool? No, one person is wise. One person is foolish. But they both are building a certain kind of life. Here is the truth for you. You are building a kind of life. If you are married, you are building a certain kind of marriage. You're one or the other. You can't say, I opt out. No, if you opt out, then you're probably heading towards foolishness. You have to be intentional in this. They are both building. You are both building. And, and, and when you're married, you're building a life together by your choices, by your commitments. When we consider this and we apply this to marriage, you have to realize that whatever kind of spiritual foundation that you as an individual in that relationship are building through your personal relationship with Christ, that that is absolutely going to translate into the marriage foundation that you have because it says the two shall become what? One. And so you've got to be growing in this together. It's important that you're growing together in this. So you're building, you are building some kind of home. You are building some kind of home with a foundation. The question that you as an individual need to ask and that you as a couple need to ask is, what is really the foundation of our home? What is the foundation? Is it our feeling? 
or uh, that ebbs and flows like shifting sand? Or is it the commitment that we live by to Jesus Christ and the commitment that we live by to one another? Is it on a bedrock of commitment or is it, uh, is it on this, the shifting sands? It's either on the rock or it's on the sand that's shifting constantly as it ebbs and flows is the way you feel. You don't always feel the same. You're always changing. You're always, you're not, you're not, uh, you know, you're dynamic. You're not static, all right? You're not staying the same. That's the same with your marriage relationship, right? Now, notice some other things about this powerful truth and this, this thing that Jesus is teaching is that, is that you have here, the interesting thing is that there are two lives for our purposes today, two marriages that from all outward appearances, they both look the same. We know how to project an outward curb appeal image to others like we've got it all together, but you and your spouse know that the foundation is feeble and it's weak. And, and, and that's often discovered whenever the rain, the floods, the winds come, all right? But, but we all, notice they all, the, the one with the solid foundation and the shifting sand, they both look the same on the outside. We're good at that until the rain and the winds come, until that happens. The other thing I want you to notice is that the external circumstances are going to come into your life. It's just, that's just inevitable, that is going to happen, okay? They are, too, exactly the same. Just because you are a Christ-following couple does not mean you are exempt from hardship. You will have hardship. Jesus said it. Peter said it. I mean, over and over again. Paul talks about it. You will have hardship in your life. But it's interesting um, that they, those things are the same, yet because of the foundational difference that they both have, the outcome and the result is different, very different. One stands firm and makes it through rough stuff. The other one does not. The other one is on shifting sand and it has a mighty collapse and a mighty crash and it fails. Well, why does that happen in a person's individual life? Why does that happen in a marriage? Why is it, I mean, just think about it with me. Why is it that two marriages can go through some of the exact same circumstances and some will fall apart? That's the manure, right, that my wife calls it. The stuff that's so hard in your life, the circumstances are so difficult. Some will fall apart. Some will have wounds. Some will have pain in the process, all of that. But instead, they are strengthened. They come together. They're fortified in that uh, event. It doesn't mean they didn't have hardship. It doesn't mean that they didn't fight. It doesn't mean there wasn't difficulty there. But, and, they, but, and they make it 50 years plus. They have beautiful flowers. How is it that some do that and then others, they go through the same stuff and then they have a mighty crash? Well, Jesus says very clearly, the key is all found in what? Foundation. It is found in the foundation. Jesus says he is the foundation, but I want to take it a step further. He certainly is the foundation, but if you go back to verse 24, notice what Jesus really says. He says, his teachings that you choose to follow, that is the foundation. That's the wise person. It's not just because you know some of his teachings, you're going to make it. A lot of Christian marriages, people who are Christians, they have marriage failures. They know a lot of the stuff. It's, are they going to choose to follow? Are they going to choose to follow Jesus? Well, what are his teachings? Jesus, I mean, that we could explore the depths of that for an eternity. What are the teachings of Jesus, right? Big question. But you know what I love? Jesus always has this incredible way of boiling it down to us, for us who are, those of us who are simple. He said, here's what you, my main teaching revolves around. Are you ready? It's loving God, loving him. And, and we say, oh, I got that. Well, let's talk about that. Let's explore that. With our heart, soul, mind, and our strength. That's all of our being. That's pursuing him and his kingdom above everything else. Now listen, even above your spouse. He didn't say, seek first the kingdom of your spouse and his or her righteousness and all that will be added. No, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek me first. Put me first place in your life. Seeking God as your number one, as your priority, even over your spouse, is going to be key to a success in your marriage. Even above your spouse, all right? Now, here's what that requires. We hear that all the time, but listen to what it really requires. If you're going to do that, and you're going to seek God first above everything else, let me tell you what that requires. It requires a daily death to self. That is a little harder, right? 
dying to yourself every day. It's what Romans 12 talked about, uh, where he said, I present my body as a living sacrifice on the altar of God. I, I die to self. I die to self, right? Now, what was the second thing Jesus said, boiling it down? You're to love God with all your heart. You seek him above everything. You die to self, loving God. What's the next thing he said? And the second one is equal to and like it. What does he say? It is important. Loving what? Others, loving each other. Now, we hear that and we're like, I got that too. Do we? Really? We think oftentimes where he says, love God, love others. Well, that applies to everyone else. What if we started with our spouse first? That does apply to your spouse. That's not just people outside of your home or on the mission field. That applies right there in your marriage relationship. Now, what does that mean? Loving like Jesus, loving others like Jesus loved others. It also is a daily commitment to dying to self. When you think about Jesus dying to my rights, dying to my pride that creeps in, putting another person and their, uh, them ahead of me in the same manner that Jesus did when he willingly went to the cross. I mean, this is not what the world tells us to do. The world tells us to place self first. The world says it's all about me. The world says it's all about my fulfillment, my happiness in my life. All of this boils down to dying to self. That is the gist of what Jesus' teachings are about. That is why Jesus would say things like this. If you want to gain your life, what would he say? Lose it. That's death to self. He would say, the first will be last, and the last will be what? First. Why? That's a death to self. You can, you can take the, the, the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and you can boil it down to this. Jesus lived a life ultimately and demonstrated it on the cross where he died to self. And he said, you are to love like me. You're to love in that manner. You're not, it, it's a commitment. Do you think Jesus made a commitment to go to the cross? Do you think Jesus felt like going to the cross? What about the Garden of Gethsemane? Oh, Lord, take this away if there's any other way. But not my will, your will. He died to self right then. I'm going to choose my commitment. I committed to go and to save them. All right? So this is all about dying to self. I mean, I want you to think about what a marriage could look like if you had two individuals in that marriage that were seeking God above everything else. I'm talking about everything else. Your kids, everything. You're seeking God first. By the way, you'll be a better parent when you seek God first. You'll be a better spouse when you seek God first. Because when you spend time with God, you spend time with him every day, he's going to remind you it's not about you. He's going to remind you your life is not about, about all about you. He's going to say, you're going to die to self today because you're going to follow me today. You see what I'm saying? You seek him first. This is, I mean, Jesus, as he says, this is incredible. What would it look like if in your marriage you both were committed to seeking God, dying to self as you seek God, and you both were coming into it and you were dying to self? It's not about me. It's not about my rights. It's not about my pride. It's not about my self-fulfillment. It's about Jesus. It's about his glory, right? Now let's go back to the passage really quickly. Take note that Jesus indicates that there's always going to be something that's coming against you as an individual, coming against you as a married couple. What are those things? They are external forces. External forces are going to come against you. He says this. They're going to come against the home. They're the rains in the original language. It's a torrential downpour. It's that sideways monsoon rain. It's coming. It's going to happen in your life. All right? He says when it comes, because the world is broken. And then he talks about the floods, the flood waters that are going to come. And, and you're going to feel like you're drowning sometimes and you're not going to make it. And then he talks about the wind. When he's talking about rain and floods and wind, what does that sound like to you? A storm. Well, what do we all know about storms? Every person here knows this. Storms are inevitable. Nobody escapes them. You're going to go through them, and you're going to have to decide what your foundation is really going to be like. So should, we shouldn't be surprised by them, but I think it's better to anticipate them. Let me give you some things to write down. Number one, if you're going to make it in your marriage, and you're going to have this, this firm foundation in your life and be a stable person, have a stable marriage, one that's going to last 50-plus years, whatever, if the Lord wills it, all right? Number one, you must, you must make a commitment to withstand the lies of our culture. We'll call that the rains. 
What does rain do? It comes in, it soaks, it permeates. What does our culture do? It tries to soak in, permeate everything in our families, permeate our marriages. You know, it comes in. And, and what is the biggest lie that we are told all of the time, starting back in the Garden of Eden, when Satan came, he said, God's holding out on you. And, and, and so really, it's, it's, he started really uh, just kind of working on this idea that, that there's more. Or, or God's holding out on me, or life's all about me, and I'm not getting mine and it's or my it's all about my happiness it's my life and it is an easy philosophy for people to buy into you know why because it's in our nature we are sinners and our nature is to is to just be all about preserving self and Jesus would go countercultural to that he would say no it's about dying to self and that is in the spirit it's going to take you yielding to God. When I think and I, I read the, the scripture, we'll find that that mindset of me and mine and all of this, that it's really antithetical to what scripture says the purpose of, of our life is as a believer. Listen, as a believer, 1 Corinthians would even say, you're not even your own anymore. We've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. We're bought with, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. Our rights, we, when we believed on Jesus Christ, our rights now, uh, those, those evaporated. Now we are followers of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul would call himself a bondservant, a slave to Christ, all right? And he wanted to be that, all right? When you realize the grace of Jesus, you realize this. It's not about me. I bought my kids a Purpose Driven Life book. I don't know if you heard uh, uh, Michael Phelps talking about how the Lord used that to, to really change his life. And I thought, you know, this is, it's been a great book that God used in my life. And so I bought them one. The very first line in it is this. Does anybody know? It's not about you. And I underline that. And I talk to them about that. I want you to understand in your life, it's not about you as a believer. Our purpose in life is not just finding temporary happiness or temporary comfort, but rather it's living our life in a pleasing manner to God. Paul even talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So whether we are here in this body, he says, whether we are here in this body, which you are, right? Okay, and we are, or we are away from this body. Look at what he says our goal and our aim is as a believer. Our goal is to do what? Be happy? Our goal is, is that what it says? No, our goal is to please him above everything else. So the question is that we always ask is, well, what makes me happy? That's how I'm going to live my life. What if we asked a better question? Because I don't think that's a good question. What if it was, what makes God happy? about the way that I'm living my life. What makes God happy? Is my life pleasing to him? It doesn't mean this. Please don't hear this today, just as I am not anti-romance, ask my wife, okay? Um, it doesn't mean God is anti-happy. But you know what God is most concerned about? He's more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. What I mean by that is, if you are a believer, he is in the process of making you more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You know what I've discovered? That typically doesn't come by everything always being smooth sailing. It's usually through the hardships in our life that he refines us the most, right? There are seasons of happiness. We're in a great season of happiness in our home, but we've also had the seasons of manure. We've had the seasons of that. God's primary concern is that we're growing to be more like Jesus, that we're reflecting his glory to the world around us, right? By the way that we live, by the way we treat each other in our relationships, right? There are seasons of happiness, and, and Hope and I have had both of those, as many of you have. But, but what if the purpose is not of marriage is not just to make us happy? What if it's more about our holiness than anything else because I'm going to tell you right now that there is not a, a laboratory for the Christian life that requires more of a miracle of God in bringing those broken individuals together and refining them than the institution of marriage because in that marriage you're going to have to learn some serious lessons about what it really means to be a Christian we can talk a big game about our Christianity. But what do we learn in the marriage relationship? You better learn how to forgive or you ain't going to make it. You better learn how to be patient or you're not going to make it. You better learn how to persevere because you're going to go through stuff or you're not going to make it. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? 
Jesus teaches those things. And so the world's all, no, self-response. Well, what is, what is the, our response? What is God's response? If you go to Romans 12, look at what he says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He's not talking about how you dress or how you look. He's talking about your value, how you think, your value, all right? There's no better refining tool for God than the marriage relationship because nothing provides for more opportunities of learning to die to self, being Christ-like. Here's the next thing. Write this down quickly, all right? What should we anticipate? You should anticipate not only the culture and be prepared to resist it, the reins of the culture, you should anticipate the crises and the hardships. Crises because it's going to be multiple things you deal with on a regular basis. The reins of culture are going to come against you. The floods of adversity are going to come against you. The floods are just most devastating things whenever you, whenever you think about these things. The most devastating natural calamity that's happened in the last 200 years was a flood that happened in China back in 1887, the Yellow River Flood, where up to 7 million people were killed. Floods of adversity, they're devastating. It may be in your marriage relationship, it may be an accident, it may be a bankruptcy, it may be cancer, it may be a rebellious child, it could be a prolonged illness, it may be all kinds of things. Why? Because we live in a broken world. Something that happens with your children. And at many point, what you find about a marriage is what that marriage is really made of because at many points, sometimes people just simply walk out. They walk out and they say, I'm out. One of the tests of your marriage is, a, is this whole idea of when your life is turned upside down, then you find out what you're really made out of. How do you handle it? How do you handle it when things don't work out as planned? How do you handle it whenever somebody loses a job? How do you handle that? The reins of culture try to lie to you and the floods of adversity try to destroy you, right? Let me just tell you again, that is why whenever you got married, that is why you stood before God and you stood before people and you stood before each other and you entered into not a contract, you entered into a covenant and the covenant says this. We say it every time we do a wedding. For better, boy, we like to just stop it right there. Or what does the rest of it say? Worse. We really need to think about those words before we promise them. In sickness and in health. In sorrow and in joy. They're complete opposite ends of the spectrum. There was an article entitled, Why Marriages Last, and I don't have time to read you much of the article, but here's what it said. Um, one guy who had been married 50 plus years, we need to listen to people like that, said this, commitment means a willingness, he said this, commitment means a willingness to be unhappy for a while. It doesn't mean the whole marriage is unhappy. It just means you're going to go through seasons of unhappiness because we live in a broken world. You've got to work through those. You've got to, you've got to press through those. It's interesting to me that David in the Psalms used the idea of floods to constantly refer to how he felt about overwhelming problems. He would say, floods of, the floods of danger have engulfed me. Floods of depression have overcome me. And some of you, you feel this flood. You're in it. I don't know what it is that you're in, but you feel it and you feel like it's up to your neck here and you're feeling like you're about to drown. And you're like, are we going to get through this? I don't know if we're going to be able to make this, right? And, and, and when you, when, what do you do when you're in a marriage and you've got a problem that's so severe, but you can't do anything about it? It's beyond your control. Well, what you could do is you could worry a lot about it, or you could walk out and let it be the end of you, or you could realize this, and this is a beautiful thing. You're in this as a, as a married couple, as a believing couple in Jesus Christ, but you're not in this alone. Look at what he promises you. God promises this. He says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you. Some of you need to hear this directly from God today. I have called you by name. He knows you. He knows your problem. You are mine. When you go, not if, when you go through deep waters, look at what he says. I will be with you. That's his presence that he promises you. You're going to go through stuff, but he says, I'll be with you. And then he says, and I'm going to protect you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. 
When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. Now, this is what I love, is he shifts from you and your problem to, hey, this is who I am. I'm the Lord your God. You're not the Savior. Your spouse is not the Savior. Look at what he says. The Holy One of Israel, what does he say about himself? I'm your Savior. I'm the Savior of you personally. I'm the one that can save your marriage. You can keep worrying about it if you want, but that's not going to change anything. Or you can say, he is God. He's going to get us through this. Some couples, they, they walk out. He's saying these things that you're going to have, they're inevitable. Anticipate them. Know that you're not alone. He's going to walk with you through it. I'm going to skip through a passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Actually, I just want to go to the very end of it. Okay, so if you bring that next passage up, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 chapter 4, and it says this, a person standing alone, verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Now look at what it says. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You plus your spouse plus Jesus, that is a recipe for success. Amen? Won't be broken, will not fail. So how do you get through the flood in your marriage, one step at a time, knowing Jesus is walking with you. You can walk out or you can walk through it together with him. Final thing, you need to, if you're going to make it, you're going to need to adapt with the changes. These are the winds. These winds, these seasons, these winds of change. The word refers to a wind that's blowing in every direction, okay? North, south, east, west. They're constantly changing. And the fact is, is that you are always changing. Your marriage is always changing. It's either getting better or getting worse. You're either growing or you're not growing. We're not, we're not static, as I said. We are dynamic, okay? We are always growing and we're changing. And so we have to realize this. You're, you're changing emotionally as you're growing in your marriage. You're changing intellectually. You're changing spiritually. We hate to admit it, but we're changing physically too, Right? And if all you married for was looks, one guy said this, marrying for looks is like buying a car for the paint job, okay? You know that regardless of the engine, it's a great paint job, but the paint peels and cracks eventually. We all get older. I'm not looking at anybody, okay? I'm just saying it happens. I want to read you before, I'm going to have Danny. Is Danny here? I want Danny to go ahead and come on in. He may be outside the door there. As Danny's coming up, we're going we're gonna to close with a song that's so powerful. But I want you to listen as he's getting ready for that. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book that said, Let Me Be a Woman. She talks about how marriage is constantly changing. You're going through seasons, empty nests. You might go through a physical change. Maybe somebody gets sick. You know, it's always seasons. It's always changing. You have to anticipate it. Listen to what she says as she's talking to young wives. She says, the fact is your provider may someday lose his job. Your strength may show unexpected weakness. Your knight in armor may experience a public defeat. Your teacher may make a serious mistake that you warn him about. Your lover may become a helpless patient, sick, sore, sad, needing your presence and care every minute of the day and night. This isn't the man I married, you will say. And it will be true, but you married him for better or for worse in sickness and in health. And those tremendous promises took into account the possibility of radical change. That's why promises, she says, were necessary. It's living by your promise, not by your feeling. I love the fact that Hope and I, as we go through our life together, we're changing. I'm learning more about her every day, and I could resist that and just say, hey, you're not like you were, and I, you know, and she could be like, you're not like, and it's better that we're not like we were. Or you can grow together. Grow together in this. I want Danny to close my message with a song that was incredibly popular whenever Hope and I were getting married. Some of you may have even had it in your wedding. It's a song written by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And uh, I got really tired of it because I did so many weddings with this song in it. But I listened to it again. I'm like, oh, my word, this is so powerful. If you're a married couple today, I tell married couples this when I do their wedding. Every day, you're making a commitment right now, but every day you have to commit to living this way. Every day, it's dying to self. 
I'm going to commit to that. Stephen Curtis Chapman, I found out, wrote this song right after he and his wife, Mary Beth, got married. And he wrote it to her because right after his wedding, his mom and dad went through a divorce and it wrecked him. He did not want his new bride to think that that was what his commitment to her was going to be like. So he wrote this song. If you're a married couple today, I'm going to encourage you, even if you've heard the song a million times and you've never heard listen to the promises. Make a recommitment to your spouse today. I'm not going to give you all the stuff to work out everything perfectly today, but you got to start with commitment. I don't care if you've been married 59 years or one week. Say today, I'm committing to you. And by the power and grace of Jesus we will get through this with his help. Listen to the words of this song. Tomorrow morning if you wake up and the sun does not Our lifetimes were made for these years. 